Good morning. You may be seated. You can thank you for that clap. I know it was for Alex. That was good. We are going to start a new series next week called Tribe and the importance of community. But as some of you know, if you followed on Facebook or were here last week, a group of us just got back from Mexico. And so I'm going to be talking a little bit about that. And I, I wanted to kind of connect some of the things that I, I think are important to understand about God and that I think help I understand a little bit more deeply in dealing with children. Um, I'm calling uh, this uh, talk The Pursuit of God. And some of you might know there is a book by A.W. Tozer called The Pursuit of God. It's an incredible book. It's a classic. And I've read it a few times, and it's one of those books where you read it and and it pulls at your heart to really pursue God in a powerful way. And, And most of you know how important it is to me to recognize that our diligence is a vital part in our relationship with God, that the greatest gift that God has given us has been the ability to choose, but it's also the greatest curse. That Pursuit of God book by A.W. Tozer is all about our pursuing God, but, but sometimes I feel that we get to a place where we think that God is, is hiding somewhere, that God is distant, and, and we have to search hard enough to try and find Him. And just maybe if we pray enough, and maybe if we go to church enough, and maybe if we meditate enough, and maybe if we do the things that we need to do well, we can find Him. But that's really not how I see the display of who God is throughout Scripture. And the character of God is something that helps us understand who God is so that we can know where our place is with God. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 10, it says, This is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for us. And and so John is telling us, this is what we know about God, that He loved us and and gave His Son for us. He also tells us in 1 John 4.19 that we love Him because He first loved us. And so the narrative in Scripture is not that God is out there somewhere elusive waiting for us to do enough to find Him. The narrative in Scripture is that God has already demonstrated love for us and that He is the one who initiated this relationship. And I think that that's something that we see throughout Scripture. It's not something that is just in one verse. It's throughout Scripture. Even in Romans chapter 2, verse 4, it says, Do you... Now show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. And Paul is writing because there was so much judgment going on that people were misrepresenting who God is. And he says, don't you recognize that it's his goodness that brings us to that dynamic of a relationship with him? And so turn with me to Genesis Chapter 3, might as well start at the beginning. And as we look at the story of Adam and Eve in the fall, we're going to start at chapter 3, verse 6. Again, there's some things that we're going to highlight throughout these verses today. 
Chapter 3 of Genesis, verse 6, it says, When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gathering wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and the wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree? that I commanded you not to eat from. And this is such a a mysterious and poetic story. There is so much in here to to digest and understand, but we we get this beautiful picture of God after the the disobedient act, the, the act of betrayal, really. Remember, God says you can eat of all the trees except this one. It wasn't like you just have two choices. You know, it's either the apricots or the apples. That's it. No, they had mangoes. They had bananas. They had... I came from Mexico, so I got some of these fruits in my mind. They had uh, all this variety of choice. There was just one thing that God says, this is what I want you to resist because I'm asking of you. And they basically said, we don't care what you're asking of. We want what we want. There was the deception involved. But then after this, they are the ones hiding from God. God's not hiding from them. And God goes looking for them. And again, that's kind of picturesque, because if God is God, he doesn't need to go, where are you? I can't find you anywhere. Oh, there you are. You know, I didn't see you hiding behind the bush. We see that God is leaning into them in spite of their condition. We see that God is the one searching for them in spite of their resistance to him. And as they respond, well, we were afraid... Why were they afraid? God wasn't showing condemnation towards them. God didn't say, I'll get you if you do that. He said, when you eat of this, you'll die. Their fear is now shaping their perception of who God is. We were afraid, so we hid because, why? We were naked. And then the question, God says, who told you? You were naked. You see, God didn't see them as naked. But now they saw themselves in this area of shame. See, before they were naked and not ashamed. God didn't see them naked. God didn't see them ashamed. But they listened to a different voice. And sometimes we listen to that different voice. And we hide from God and we think, oh, well, look at the things I've done. And you can fill in the blanks because you know the things that you do. I know the things I do that fail to be the best human being that I want to be or probably that you want to be. 
And there's a voice maybe that whispers into your soul, you're naked. You need to hide. Instead of coming to God who already is leaning into you. And this understanding of God is an important one because if we always see God as a God who is wanting to condemn, a God who is wanting to judge, then we are going to be resistant. And so turn with me to chapter 4 of Genesis. The next story here, starting in verse 1, again, a familiar story. Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant, gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruit of the soil as an offering to the Lord, and Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. And so we see the first expression that's going to steer this story. And it's Cain was angry and downcast. And then we see the response of God. Verse 6, Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, Let's go out to the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. So here we see Cain angry, downcast. We see God asking him, why are you upset? You see, again, Cain is listening to someone's voice, and it's not God's. He's upset for a reason. And we know that it's because he was jealous, because his brother did something right, and he did not get the praise that he wanted for what he did. He didn't get the accolades that he expected. And so he changed his temperament. But what was God's response? He didn't say, hey, you better watch it. He asked him, why are you angry? Don't you know if you do what's right, it's good with us. The next scene, we see that Cain kills his brother. And so now what would we expect? Okay, this is where my parenting comes into play. And I think back, there are times where I would warn my kids, Don't do this. Don't hit your brother. Don't set the house on fire. You know, there are things that you would tell the kids, don't do this. And they would do it. I don't know why. They didn't even know why. Right? Why'd you do that? I don't know. You know, it's like, what's going on? And so I had asked them, why did you do that? And you see, my tendency is after they did something that I just told them not to do, I would be upset. Why'd you do that? I told you not to do that. So that would be my expectation. This is what God should do. God should get mad at Cain. This is lightning bolt, thunder, strike him dead kind of time. Just seems like a natural thing to do. You just kill this guy, that's it. It's done for you. 
But we see in verse 9, Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? There's an answer to that question. The Lord said, What have you done? Listen. Your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. And now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. And the curse that God pronounces to Cain isn't God cursing him. It is what happens because of what he did. God starts off, he says, where's your brother? He says, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And God says, listen, do you hear his voice? The injustice is crying from earth itself. We live in a, a universe that has this dynamic of good and evil. It has this consequence to action. And God is saying, do you hear the result of what you have done? Your brother's blood is crying out from the earth. And so the earth itself is going to be against you because of what you have done. So many times we detach ourselves from the consequences of the things that we do. And it's not that God is judging us. It's just what happens. You see, if you continue to be a person who lies to your spouse, then the relationship you have with your spouse is in jeopardy of dissolving, disintegrating, self-destructing. Why? Because that's what happens if you live a deceptive life with someone who you are claiming to love. It will blow up. And God would be saying, listen, do you hear what your lies are telling you? Because then when the light shines on them one day and your spouse is seeing the deception, it is going to put a wedge in that relationship that is going to cost you. It's the curse of being deceitful with someone who you are close to. And you can do that in so many areas. We think that what we do doesn't affect who we are. If I can hide it, if I can lie about it, if I can keep it to myself, it doesn't affect anyone but me. And we know that that's just not the case. How many children don't have a mom and a dad because someone had a secret, someone had a problem they thought was just theirs, but now it's the family's. It affects you and it affects everyone around you. And so God pronounces a curse, but the curse isn't God cursing Cain. It's the curse that is on Cain for what he does. And then Cain responds in verse 13. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is more than I can bear. Really? You just killed your brother. And now I've got to be a restless wanderer. Which one is worse? Seems like you get this because of what you've done. It's more than I can bear. 
Today you are driving me from the land and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. Now again, how does he know whoever finds him is going to kill him? You see, his voice is saying that people are just like me. I killed my brother, so people are going to try to kill me. And what we really see is Cain just presenting himself and putting it on everybody. He's projecting who he is on everyone around him. Preachers do that a lot, you might notice. They talk about a sin all the time. It's probably their sin. Just a little heads up there. And so we see him projecting this, but really, is that the truth? And notice God's response. Also recognize God is talking still to Cain. We don't see God ever talking to Abel. We have no record of that. But here is God continuing the conversation. Verse 15, but the Lord said to him, not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. And so God says, no. And the mark of Cain is not a mark saying, yes, you're, you're just cursed. The mark of Cain is actually God's protection. You see, so we see that God is still reaching out for Cain, even though he was the one who murdered his brother. God is not the one pushing away. Cain is the one who pushed away. Cain is now dealing with the consequence of his action, and God is still the one conversing with him. And I think that's telling. I think it's important that we again see that God has always been postured towards us, postured towards people. And there are so many examples of this. Moses, in Exodus chapter 3, I won't go through all of them for sake of time. Moses, we see that by divine providence, when Egypt is put an edict out for the Hebrew women because the Hebrew nation is growing so strong to kill the male child that is born from... I forget the age, two years old and under. And so there's this slaughter of children. But Moses' mom hides him, puts him in a basket and sends him down the Nile River. And we see that the Egyptian woman, who's Pharaoh's daughter, takes him in and says, I'm going to raise him, I'll take it. And then someone says, well, should I get a Hebrew mom who just lost a baby to raise him? She said, that's a good idea. Gets Moses' mom, comes there like... Pretty cool. Like, what are the odds of that? You know, it's like at some point coincidence just says, nah, I don't think so. I think this is kind of divine providence. And so we see this divine connection here taking place. Moses grows up in Pharaoh's household, raised in all the prestige of Egypt. And he sees an Egyptian beating a Hebrew slave. And he goes and he he takes charge and he kills the Egyptian and he buries him. Next time we see two Hebrews fighting and Moses says, why are you brothers fighting with each other? And they say, oh, are you going to kill us like you did that Egyptian? And he says, oh, busted. And he flees, right? And so he's in the wilderness for 40 years. Moses ran away from the situation, says, I'm out of here. 
and he's on the far side of the desert just walking through, and all of a sudden there's a bush burning. Moses wasn't going out looking for burning bushes. He wasn't going out saying, God, where are you? I'm looking for some sign. Give me a sign, God. No, Moses is just taking care of his sheep, and then there's a bush burning, but it's not being consumed. And he says, huh, why is that bush burning but not being consumed? I'll go check it out. And so he walks over there, and this is God luring him into the conversation. And then the bush starts speaking to Moses, which would freak you out. And it says, take your sandals off. The place you are on is holy ground. And then what God says is, I have heard the cry of the Israelites because of their oppressors. God has heard the cry of the people. And what he's doing is he's saying, I want you to hear that too. I want you to hear the cry that I hear. And I want you to go and I want you to change that circumstance. And so now we see that God is reaching out to Moses and he's reaching out to Moses because he's trying to reach out to more people. And Moses is resistant at first. How do I know? What should I say? It's just me. How, how will they know who you are? And he says, say that I am, that I am has sent you and I'm going to send you and give you the power and the there's going to be the miracles and I'm going to use you to deliver these people. Who initiated that? Why did God initiate that? God is the one who reached out to Moses and God reached out to Moses so that Moses could reach out and deliver a nation who God heard crying in their affliction. You see, God always hears those crying in affliction. Not just some people, not just the Jewish people. He can hear the people who are in Mexico. He can hear the people who are in Haiti. He can hear the people who are in Africa. He hears and he will put burning bushes in our way so that we're drawn and we say, huh, wonder what that's about. It might look like a YouTube video. I don't know what it's going to look like. You go through and you just start looking at that and all of a sudden you hear God speaking to you I wonder who I can send to help these people in this condition because God is postured leaning into those who are afflicted, leaning into those who are struggling, those who are lost, those who are broken, those who feel and hear their voice saying, I'm naked, those who are violent and resistant. God is the one carrying on the conversation. It happened with Samuel in 1 Samuel chapter 3. Samuel's just a boy, and, and he thinks that Eli the priest is calling him, but it's actually God saying, hey, Samuel. And he gets up and he goes, hey, did you call me? And Eli goes, I didn't call you. Go to bed. And he goes back and lays down. God says, Samuel. Gets up again. I heard you call me. And finally, Eli says, something's going on here. Next time, say, speak. Your servant hears. And so Samuel does. He hears and he says, speak. Your servant hears. And God says, I have chosen you to reach out to this people. God starts a conversation. The conversation is pointed in a direction to help lead the people of Israel. He did it with David. Anointed David to lead that people. He did it with Saul, who became Paul. Turn with me to Acts chapter 9. 
because we're starting to see a pattern here. And even though it's diverse, we're seeing some commonality take place in the part of God and his intention. And so Acts chapter 9, starting at verse 1, it says, Meanwhile, Saul, still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. So we see Saul's condition, Saul's posture, Saul's behavior. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogue in Damascus so that he, if he found any of those who belonged to the way, those who believed in Jesus, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. That's his intention. Give me orders so that I can arrest whoever is following Jesus and bring them to trial in Jerusalem. And then we can have them tried for being uh, heretics, for being enemies, basically, of the government because they're believing in a different king. We can have these people put to death, extinguished. That's Paul's or Saul's state of mind at this point. Verse 3, as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless and heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man, a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. So again, we see that God is the one who reaches out to this person who is persecuting those who believe in Jesus God is the one who reaches out to him with the purpose of using him to reach other people. God is wanting to move him to a place where now he becomes useful to what God is doing to reach other people who are in similar conditions as we have seen, similar conditions to Adam, similar conditions to Cain, similar conditions to Moses, similar conditions to Saul with the purpose of them doing more work to reach others. Moses, you need to reach these people who are crying to me. Saul, you need to reach these people who are wandering and lost. And this is the character and posture of God. As we're going through Ephesians on Wednesday, last week in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, it says, Therefore be imitators of God, 
as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. That we are to be imitators of God, walking in love, extending ourselves to others just as God through Christ has extended himself to us. You see, an imitator of God is a person who cares about the cries of those who are suffering. An imitator of God is someone who reaches out to those who are are lost and are naked and are wandering. An imitator of God is reaching out to those who are angry and given over to that anger. An imitator of God is someone who cares enough about others that it will actually step out of their place to reach those who are in their suffering. That's what a character, the character of God is. And to be an imitator of God is to represent Him in doing these things. This weekend, as we went down to Mexico, we went to an orphanage called Buena Vida Orphanage. It's Good Life Orphanage. They have about 28 kids or so. And we were there to to hang out with the kids and, and to play with them and to get to know a little bit about the orphanage because we want to help them out. They are staying in a facility that they're renting and in 13 months they have to be out of that facility. So they bought some property and they're building uh, some place where they can now move the kids to this place and they've had it for about four months and they've got one building set up where it's two stories for the kids and they've got plans and it needs some work and we're going to see what we can do to help them out. It seems like they're run really, really well. It's very organized, very structured. The kids seem to have a lot of guidance in this place. And, and as we are getting to interact with the kids and get, you know, I don't speak Spanish, so I first had a three-year-old because I can speak three-year-old. You know, I can put my hat on him and take it off and make faces and he laughs. And so me and him got along really good. And he's the youngest one that's there. He's three years old. He's only been there a short time. And then we went to the pool. And it's kind of interesting when you go to like a pool in Mexico because you go off a road and you'll go down this dirt road. And it's the kind of dirt road you would go down if you were going to like kill someone, you know, and deposit their body and never see him again. You're like, where are we going? And then all of a sudden there's this oasis and there's a pool. And so we went to this one place, but they had like a family reunion there. And I don't know what family it was, but it was a Mexican family. So they took over the whole pool section, okay? And so there was no room for us to go into there. And they all had red shirts on and they were partying and it was going on. And it was like, okay, well, we can't take a bunch of orphans here. Don't know what's, it's not really conducive for the environment where we're wanting to spend the time with them. So then we went up and went down another dirt road that you would never expect to go down and find a pool, but there was. You go down, so I'm going to just start going to Mexico and going down dirt roads. Who knows what you'll find? Better not do that. Who knows what I'll find? So we went down another dirt road and there was another pool and it's kind of like a little campsite where you pay to go in. And so we paid for the orphans to go in and for all the people who worked at the orphanage and for our group. And we went down there and we made hot dogs and hamburgers and you ladies from Word and Deed who made all the little baskets with the cookies, the two cookies and the brownie. Don't ask me how I know exactly what was in those, but you made more than enough for the kids. 
And so there was more than enough for the kids, but all the kids got some. And then some others of us got to enjoy them as well. Thank you so much. You should have seen the kids' faces light up as they ran and got the the little bag with the little message there from the family at Genesis. And thank you so much for doing those things. It means a lot. And I was in the pool hanging out with these kids, you know, and I was I was teaching these few boys how to swim because they didn't know how to swim. And they're probably around eight years old or so, and so they're hanging on to the little floaties and things that we have. And I tell him, and the one guy starts panicking, no, I can't swim. You could tell he's like freaking out. And so I'm trying to convey to him, hey, I'll help you out to swim. And so I've got him there, and I'm showing him how to hold on and kick and paddle, and he starts swimming. And so I taught a number of kids how to swim, so I feel really good that if these kids are ever thrown into a wandering pool in Mexico, they'll know how to swim to the other side. And so by the end of the time, they're swimming all the way across the pool to me and pretty soon I'm not even in there they're just jumping in and swimming and it's one of those things that I remember doing that with my children I can remember teaching them how to swim I remember when I learned how to swim and at the end when we're leaving I thought I got this all out at the end when we were leaving you know and we're saying goodbye to the kids one of the kids comes running up to me and just gives me a big old hug he's still all wet but he gave me a big old hug and then he ran, jumped in the pool and swam across. And I just thought, wow, I, I, I got to be a part of his life. This kid who has no father. This kid who has no dad. And as we started hearing the stories from these children, I know Ashley heard these four sisters, they're living there at the orphanage. And, and they're older, some are in their early teens. And as she asked them, well, why are you here? Where are your parents? She says, well, my mom lives over at this other place and she has two other children that live with her. And my dad, who's not with my mom, lives at this other place. We know where he lives and he has these two other children who live with him. And so dad has two kids, mom has two kids, but we are put here. Imagine what that does to you. We weren't chosen. They chose those two, they chose these two, but no one chose us. And I just can't wrap my mind around that. And what's more, I can't wrap my mind around a God who is represented like that. A God who would choose some but not choose other. Because the picture I see is God is in pursuit of all. And he's not willing that any would perish, he tells us in Ephesians, or 2 Peter, excuse me. And what God is doing is whispering into our hearts, and there's a burning bush experience that happens in our lives where he says there's a group of orphans here who feel that they are not chosen. There is a cry coming out from these children and I want you to answer that cry. I want you to teach them how to swim. I want you to give them bracelets and cookies. I want you to let them know that I hear their voice and that I care for them. And God is always calling a few to reach many. He's calling the one to extend himself. But you see, we have to care enough to hear his voice and to want to do something about it. And and so what are we going to do with the voice that we hear? What are we going to do when we encounter God, that burning bush, when we hear his voice saying, go? What are we going to do when 
we have the encounter because the encounter isn't just for us. It's for those that we can reach. And we want to recognize that God speaks his life to us so that we can share that life with others. It's not so we can feel good about ourselves. It's not so we can feel better than someone else. It's not that we're the elect, you're not. We're the chosen, you're not. No, you see, we are chosen through Christ. God loved us first, not only. We are justified, made right with God through Christ. It's because of Jesus that God now looks at us and says, I love you so much, I gave my son, I can deal with your brokenness through Christ. And so when Romans talks about those he predestined, he called, we are predestined through Christ. He's the firstborn that he's speaking of. You see, God has a plan for humanity to make a new humanity that looks like brothers and sisters that doesn't have a home here and a home here, but has a home here in the heart of God. And now we have to hear that voice and respond. What are we going to do? How are we going to answer this call? You know, I I can't tell you how much I love this community. I, I love that you guys would make bags of cookies and give it to these kids. I, I love that we can take our resources and build a cafeteria in Haiti. I, I love that we are a community that helps out with the needs of Foothill Family Shelter and, and those around us. I love that we are postured to reach those who are hurting and those who need help and to need to hear God loves them. They need to hear that. And we are doing that in this small community. We've done more in this community than I've done almost my entire life following Jesus. You've done that. I'm so thankful for that. And I know that it's in our heart to want to hear God's voice so that we can do more. And and so in the months to come, I know I've mentioned we're going to start developing a food program for the children at St. Andre's in Haiti. In the months to come, I wanted to see what we can do to help out maybe with the construction and building the orphanage there in Mexico. In the months to come, I want to continue to have a posture that lets people know that God loves you. How do I know? Because God loved me. And he sent me to you. And so may we be that people. May we be that group that takes the understanding of the character of God and may we be imitators of God in walking in this love. Carrying this message of love to those who need to hear it. Helping those who are broken, who are angry, who are dealing with these things in so many ways. May we be imitators of God. May we hear his voice and may that voice haunt us 
until we respond. Let's pray. God, I pray above anything else that what we hear this morning is how much you care for humanity. I, I, I pray that if we leave with anything this morning, it is an understanding that you are in pursuit of us. And Lord, some of us have been following you for a while and, and maybe we, we've tuned your voice out. Maybe we've kind of ignored you and don't want to hear the things that you want to say to us. And I, I pray, Lord, that your voice would, would grow in our hearts and, Lord, you would move us to a place that moves you. Maybe there's some of us here who, who don't know you, Lord, who, who have resisted this. And maybe, Lord, they have resisted you because of the impression that they've received, a, a false impression, a, a tainted impression that you are just out for their money or you are just out to condemn or to judge. Lord, I, I pray that your voice would be heard in their hearts and their lives this morning so that they could hear that you are pursuing because you love, because you care, because you are wanting to restore, wanting to strengthen and develop. But Lord, may we respond to you and to your voice as you would speak to our lives. Lord, I thank you for the generosity of this community. I thank you for those who have given themselves so selflessly to you. And I pray that we would continue to do so with the lives of those around us. Lord, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Bless, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand together with me? May the Lord bless you as you hear his voice. May he direct you to the lives of those around you who are in need. May you be a strength to those who are weak. May you be a comfort to those who are brokenhearted. And may you be an imitator of God as you walk in love. God bless you guys. Have a great day.